It is Locked on Jazz for the 6th of September. Name-calling, name-calling, and name-calling. Does it actually matter? Donovan Mitchell's legacy, and what did the Jazz learn about building a star? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. I gotta thank all of you. Uh... A tremendous amount because the audio quality and everything about kind of the other day's um, uh, show was not up to snuff of what we want it to be. And as I was just checking today to make sure it was working and I was on the road and it was just kind of a mess. The numbers are great, which means you guys snuck through it or fought through it. And I, and I just want to say thank you. Um, we'll continue to talk about this. We'll do an Ask LOJ this week, so kind of leftover questions on Donovan. I do have two interesting shows, I think, coming up this week as well. One, a different perspective on what an incredible stash of picks the Jazz got um, for where they are and who they are. And then number two, um, why the Lakers really have to give up the 27 and 29 first-round picks and why the Jazz need to be the team that gets them. So we'll do those as the week continues. But today, let's deal with all of the name-calling that's going on, look back at Donovan's legacy and what the Jazz have learned about building a star. So there's all sorts of reports out there. The Knicks are claiming they offered this Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett, O.B. Topham, three unprotected at the very beginning. Possible. And the Jazz turned it down. Possible. Here's why it's possible. Because I do think there was a period of time here where the Jazz plan was to build around Donovan. I think there was a, after they traded Rudy, I think there was a period of time where the Jazz intention was to do what Danny Ainge did with Paul Pierce in Boston and build around Donovan Mitchell. And then that became clear. That's quite a commitment, right, from from Donovan that you almost have to promise the Jazz, like, hey, if you do this pretty well, I'll stick around and be a part of this for the next six, seven years. I mean, Paul Pierce really did it for a long time. And and it might not be a realistic ask anymore at this point for a player to do that. For those who don't know the reference, when Danny Ainge took over in Boston, his key piece was Paul Pierce. And Paul Pierce stayed with the Celtics in Boston Throughout the whole rebuild, it also meant that Paul Pierce played a playoff series when he was 24, 25, 26, and when they lost in seven, and then they didn't play a playoff series until again in 20, 2008 when Ainge made all the major moves. And so, you know, if you're Pierce and you're a part of this, you kind of have to, you went to the Eastern Conference Finals at 24, and then you got knocked out in the first round or second round in 25, first round in 26, first round in 27. And you guys say, okay, well, I'm up for a two- or three-year rebuild. I'm not sure that Donovan was totally willing to do that. So 
in that sense, there is a chance that the Knicks make that offer at a time in which the Jazz were still trying to figure out if they could rebuild around Donovan. The rest of this is, to me, it's actually a little irrelevant other than the fact that we're dealing with the New York Knicks, and so everything is a story forever after, and we're always dealing with... Um, and the Knicks, you know, this has been the Knicks story for two years and it's over and they don't have the player. So now they got to make the story live for another two weeks on whether or not the Jazz, um, you know, were petty and Danny Ainge tried to screw the Knicks. And the Nick Martyr syndrome is unique to me at best. Um, laughable uh, might be the other word I would use at most. It's the idea that the, the poor New York Knicks... The other idea that a team would take a less good value just to spite another team is even more laughable in this. Um, the way you get over on someone you don't like in the league is you fleece them. And the idea that the Jazz would be willing to take less from Cleveland than they would from New York just to screw the Knicks is really stupid. Um, it's just, there's just no chance. Like, it's you're not exactly... You're actually accusing the Jazz front office of being negligent at that point. So pretty certain Danny Ainge is, is prideful enough and Justin Zanuck um, is that they're not just like going to be spiteful to cut off their nose as the phrase goes. The other one here is that, I mean, I actually think the Jazz got a better deal for the Knicks too. I mean, from the Cavaliers. Colin Sexton's a better player than Obi Toppin, Quinton Grimes, or Emmanuel Quickly. Um, we ran through the Knicks players at one point on Lockdown Jazz. Those three players, maybe rotation players. I, I'm not. We'll see if any of them ever become a starter. Um, and then the Jazz have done something here where they have the 25 and 27 and 29 picks out of both Cleveland and Minnesota. The common thing to me about Cleveland and Minnesota, similar to the Utah Jazz, is the fact that if something goes wrong, there are markets that are incapable of rebuilding it through free agency. So there's no chance that if something goes wrong in Cleveland's build. Now, hey, they've got four fabulous players that are young in Donovan, Colin Sexton, Evan Mobley, and, uh, excuse me, Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and Jared Allen. And and they're great. Like, And they should have Mobley for a while, and they should have uh, Darius Garland for a while, and we'll see how long they have Donovan. But if for some reason something goes awry in this process... There's not another mechanism by which the Cavaliers can recover. They're not signing free agents to go to Cleveland. Nor is Minnesota signing free agents to go to Minnesota. So what the Jazz have done, I think this matters when you wonder what, why the Jazz took each pick they took, is that they took the marketplace that doesn't have the ability to reload, and if something goes wrong, then 27 and 29 could be really valuable. It's also why Minnesota protected one through five on 29. Like, whoa, that's pretty far out. Rudy's going to be old. Carl Anthony Towns could have done anything by then. Anthony Edwards could have asked out. We're screwed. Like, that's actually not the most unlikely scenario. There was one really interesting report this weekend out of Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe that Justin Zanuck was at the helm for most of all conversations with the Knicks, which I do believe is true. I believe that that Justin is doing almost all of the conversations. And then when it comes to the finish line, you, you bring in Danny and you discuss the options that are at the table and you present yourself and, and make the call. And we'd heard, you know, Scott Gerard had kind of reported that this Cleveland deal was out there 
And then there was some question of like, well, why didn't they take it? And, you know, maybe some people in the camp were pro and some were con and you had to kind of work your way around to get to that moment. So the the interesting report this weekend was that Gerson Rosas, who was the uh, dis, the fired Minnesota Timberwolves general manager, kind of disgraced, was actually in charge of the Knicks negotiating. That Leon Rose wasn't actually doing it, same way Danny wasn't, and that Justin was going back and forth with him. That's an interesting story because Gerson, the story on Gerson Rosas out of Minnesota is he was very difficult to get along with. And he was a bit prickly. He's very numbers-based, very analytical, and was not a people person. Justin's an incredible people person. So that leads to a little credence um, of what's taking place. The other story that was super interesting that did come out this weekend, so they may be irrelevant, but they're very interesting, was the idea that the Knicks knew Cleveland was the frontrunner. And this vibes a little bit because I had heard the Cleveland rumor prior to the R.J. Barrett situation. And that the Knicks signed R.J. Barrett and made in, in understanding they were about to lose out on the Donovan Mitchell trade. And so therefore, it didn't look as though they were, um, dot, that R.J. Barrett was a consolation prize. Nah, I'm not sure. It's interesting. The timing's not quite right. Like the idea that Kobe Altman and, and, and um, Justin Zanuck rekindled 48 hours before the trade, after the R.J. Barrett is interesting. The fact is the deal was still totally able to be done with R.J. Barrett or without R.J. Barrett, despite the poison pill. But those are interesting. So that's all the scuttlebutt. This story won't die. From our standpoint, let's look at Donovan's legacy. Let's look back at at what he did for us, what his the memory should be. And it didn't go awry, but it's clear it wasn't as good by the end as it was from the start. So what do we learn about building a star? It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, your team every day. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has the strawberry Built Bar out right now. 140 calories, 17 grams of protein, and 5 grams of sugar. How good is that? Plus, granola Built Bars are back. The granola triple box is available. And cookie dough chunk puffs stay available. Brownie batter puffs stay available. Coconut marshmallow available. I'm running low. Might be time for another built order, in which case you use the promo code LOCKEDON15. That's a new promo code, LOCKEDON15, to get 15% off on your latest Built Bar order. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, 130 calories, 2.5 grams of fat, 4 net carbs, and 4 sugars. Today's show is also brought to you by our good friends over at Murdoch Chevy. Located in Woods Cross, also located in Logan. The Chevy lineup of trucks, the Chevrolet and the Silverado, unbelievable. The SUVs, you know them well. It's the Suburban and the Tahoe. It's the Utah County Assault Vehicles. And then you got the Murdoch family that has been around for over 80 years. Giving you everything that you need. Giving you that VIP treatment. 
and taking care of you. The Murdoch Chevy located in Woodscross, also in Logan. Fabulous things going on right now as we move toward the $1,000 truck season, the truck allowance, $1,000 off on that. The Equinox has 1.9 APR financing and a $1,200 cash allowance. And full tank of gas on those Silverados, 480 miles on a full tank of gas. So you're not going to the tank very often. It's all at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also in Logan. Feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com if you're stopping by. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. Your second listen is going to become NBA Big Board, but I also would remind you that the Ultimate NBA Preview is available for the NFL season. The Ultimate NFL NFL Preview is available with our friends over at Odyssey. It's absolutely remarkable if you want to get ready for the NFL season. Nothing better. All right, so Donovan comes to us as just a bright star. I mean, we're, 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 we're terribly scarred by the Gordon Hayward departure. And I still think that's a large legacy of how Donovan was treated, how Donovan's time here went, and frankly, you know, what Donovan meant to us. But he's, you know, me, I, I think it's a fair statement that Donovan was the most nationally world-renowned, famous player to ever play for the Utah Jazz. More than Stockton Malone. Neither ever had L.A. Gears, not quite what Donovan had with the Adidas signature shoe right out of the shoot. Carl uh, Malone had an L.A. gear deal. Um, he just had it, right? He had a pizzazz. He had a flash. He had the nickname. It was it was really all unbelievable for us. We get the playoff win over Oklahoma City. You got the 4th of July barbecue. You got the game his rookie year against the Pelicans. You go all the way back to the summer league, frankly, when he just ignited us. And gave us our own star. We wore our 45 jersey and everyone knew what it was. And it was probably the first jazz player since Stockton Malone. And maybe including Stockton Malone. Where if you went across around the country and you went places people wore. Who weren't really jazz fans wore the 45 jersey. You, you go around the summer when I've been traveling. I've seen John ja Morant jerseys. John ja Morant has transcended the Memphis Grizzlies to a national star. And people are wearing the John ja Morant jersey. It's a great sign by the way for Utah that Durant. Donovan Mitchell and John Moran have all done this in small markets. And and really, Donovan was the key, was the kid. Like, and he was terrific. And he was getting better and better. And we were using his skills differently. Um, he wasn't a natural point guard at all. And so we felt the need to add a point guard in Mike Conley. And yet he then got better and better and better at it. For a long time, he and Rudy were the number one pick and roll combination in the entire NBA. He Every night you walked into the arena, there was a chance he was just going to go for 40. Like, it was awesome. Um, and really a super thing to have in our marketplace. And really just, you know, I think, you know, and and he was committed. Like, he and Johnny Bryant, when he was his coach, were going uh, after out every night into a gym in whatever city to go shoot. And then when Irv Roland came to be his coach, he was doing the same thing. Like, there was a commitment to excellence, a commitment to greatness, uh, and, and of Donovan. And it was evident all the time. And Carrick, you know, had terrible playoff series against the Houston Rockets in back-to-back times and then learned and developed from that. So we, we were seeing his constant... The thing that I remember most vividly is early in his career, he would work at something on shoot-around and try it in the game. No one does that. No one does that. Everyone works and works and works and works at things until they finally feel comfortable enough with it before 
they are and know they can't fail and they go do it. And what I remember so vividly about Donovan on the court was the willingness to try something in practice and then implement it that night or try it pregame and then implement it that night. And his, his learning curve was just astronomical. And it's where his star was just a complete rocket ship. And then off the court, he was just great, right? He was just, he was with the kids in the 4th of July barbecue. And then he was willing to, you know, step out on issues. And he was good for our community. And he respected what was taking, you know, the voices. And he, and he, he you know, was on the wrong side of a few really ugly things and seemed to handle it very, very well. Um, and I had kind of, in my, occasionally in my call, I'd called him the kid. He reminded me of Ken Griffey Jr. Of when I covered Ken Griffey Jr. in Seattle and we watched him with the hat on backwards and making the plays and the kid. But there was also an underlying thing to why I called him the kid because by the time I was covering Ken Griffey Jr. in, largely in Seattle, he was disgruntled and he was unhappy and he was frustrated and he wasn't enjoying it the same way. And I think the same happened with Donovan. Um... You know, the last time I think we really saw the joyous Donovan was the bubble. When the noise went away, um, the noise got super loud, right? With COVID and him getting COVID and the ill-fated thoughts or misinformed thoughts that Rudy gave him COVID. Um, And then that's when really the Rudy Donovan thing erupted and all sorts of, you know, demands and frustration and outlandish and Donovan really flexing his all-star muscles on the organization at that point. And then Donovan goes to the bubble and the Jazz have this kind of bubble revival and Donovan's unbelievable and becomes a star. That's almost the last time we see the kid. Like there's a, there's something you kind of look back at to me and that when, when, by the time we came back from that, it wasn't, it wasn't the same kid. He was still, you know, I, I will I tell this story. Like, I want to make sure this is really, really clear. This is a minor story. Like, and it's about me. And so it sounds like it's like my ego. And hopefully you'll just take it to understand it is what it is. You know, every night at a game, every shoot around at a game, we sit and watch and we're about four or five rows back. In Dallas, last shoot around, probably we attended. We were sitting there. And there's a walkway into the back that comes right by us. And I I don't expect anyone to say, there's no need for any player to say hi. Everyone's tired, it's morning, whatever. We all see each other all the time. Donovan's the one who would always kind of say, hey, Locke, how's it going? What's going on? Hey, Bowler, what's going on? Hey, Booner, what's up, Ron? What's going, what what do you got? He always would take him in to say, it tells, it's a minor, minor detail, but it just tells me that his core, super good kid. I think he struggled in the last two years in Utah on what it meant to be an all-star. Of what it was he was supposed to do, what it was he wanted to do, what, it, what how he was supposed to be treated, how he could be treated. Like, I think it's a, and it's a process that they all go through. And I think he struggled with it. I think he separated himself from the team a little bit this year. Uninten- I wouldn't go with, I'm going to go with unintentionally. I don't think Donovan intended, and I think in Cleveland he'll probably do things a little differently. That he... He built himself a, a, a gaggle of people around him and indirectly and unintentionally, I think, you know, separated himself from his teammates without meaning to. And so suddenly 
And then he just didn't and, and, and added more to his life in the shoe contract and the social justice and things that are super important. And he did a great job with them, but it just is a lot. And what does it mean to be an all-star and how am I supposed to act and who's supposed to be around me? And what am I supposed to have? Am I supposed to have a chef? Am I supposed to have a masseuse? Am I supposed to have a coach? Am I supposed to have a, like, what, what are all of these things? And what is it that I'm being, that people are telling me I'm supposed to do and how that, and I saw that kind of wear at him in the process. And so you look back and COVID to me is kind of this moment where like he, we come out of the bubble and it just doesn't, doesn't feel the same. The other one that's really interesting to look back at is, and this is kind of on the building a star that we'll continue the conversation with. Cause I think there's a really interesting parallel between what the Cleveland Cavaliers went through with Kyrie Irving and what the jazz went through with Donovan Mitchell is you go back to Donovan's extension. We just gave him everything. We just gave him everything. We gave him the opt-out. We gave him the max. We gave him the shortest years possible. And who knows why other than maybe just try so desperate. My, my theory is just scarred by Gordon Hayward. So desperate to keep Donovan happy the whole time that we felt like if we just acquiesce all the time, that'll make him happy. I, I'm not sure that's the model. And that's what, and, and I think that's what's really an interesting takeaway for the Jazz moving forward is is what did we learn about building a star because we're certainly going to try to do it again with all these draft picks and and with this talent acquisition mode that we're in right now and what did we learn about so let's touch on that as we continue because I do think there's an interesting parallel between Cleveland Kyrie and Utah with Donovan Mitchell as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz thanks very much for making Locked on Jazz, a part of your your team every day, a part of your daily first listen. Locked on NBA Big Board is your draft podcast. Therefore, you locked on NBA also 30 minutes every day, updating the biggest stories of what's going on around the NBA. All right, so if you remember, and, and this is some knowledge I've been given. So the Cleveland Cavaliers lose LeBron James and, you know, a really brutal, you know, I'm taking my talent to South Beach. The Jazz lose... The, lose Gordon Hayward and not much of a, you know, kind of an equally similar, really egg on the face. They, they go to San Diego to meet with him. He then rebukes it uh, and and he leaves and everyone thought he was going to stay. And then there was the whole, like, we should get a sign-in trade. And Danny says no, understandably. Um, and Donovan arrives. And Kyrie Irving arrives as the number one pick. And both the two franchises, I think, were so scarred by the departure of their previous star that the instinct, rightfully, understandably so, there's not, there's not a criticism here, there's an observation, is to just acquiesce and give everything to the next star so that they're so happy that they want to stay. And maybe Donovan would have stayed. We just, you know, we never found out. I think, you know, we had a vibe and a feeling that probably not. And so you make this trade. Um, and I think they're probably, you know, again, I do think there was a period of time where the Jazz would have liked to do the Paul Pierce model with Donovan and, and go build back up with Don. But that would have, you know, you had to know he was going to stay beyond the upcoming contract. So there's, you know, you know, who knows? What's interesting about Kyrie is Kyrie then kind of just ran amok which Donovan didn't, Um, which is why this is kind of an interesting parallel 
to like as we move forward, how do we build a star? So in the case of Kyrie, if you recall, Kyrie runs the franchise. He's in total control. He gets everything. From what I've heard from people in Cleveland, like they they never criticize him once. He gets all of he gets incredible run of the franchise. He has people around him everywhere. It's completely his show. And then LeBron comes back. And they win a title, but remember, then Kyrie wants out. Because it's not his show anymore. And he wants that show. He wants he wants that. And, you know, Kyrie is his unique entity on and of itself. But, you know, talking to people who were around that time in Cleveland, you know, the, the messaging is like they built up this monster in Kyrie because of the fear of LeBron leaving. In Utah, we didn't do quite the same thing because Quinn coached Donovan pretty darn hard. But by the end, as we got to the final stages, it was pretty clear we were no, even in the last year, like we were no longer running the obviously unselfish offense. We were no longer running all of the same stuff that we once did. We had changed who we were as a team, either due to personnel or to try to make, you know, our superstar play the way our superstar wanted to. Now, Donovan didn't run amok or become a monster or anything of that nature. But as I said about Donovan, I think Donovan was trying to learn how to be a star. And we were trying to learn how to raise a star and to build a star and what entire that means and how much chaos does that bring and how do you manage that chaos? Back to Danny Ainge's press conference or conversation that I had. I think these are really, really interesting pieces of just kind of the jazz story with Donovan as well as the Jazz story moving forward. We're going to have another one here shortly. Who is the next star? I don't know. Um, You know, I don't think it's Colin Sexton, but maybe, maybe Colin Sexton. I mean, he's a previously really high pick, really talented. Maybe he clicks in here, and then he's probably pretty grateful having gone through kind of being dismissed in Cleveland if he does become the star. But I think in all likelihood, you know, our next few stars are our 2023 draft pick, our 2025 draft pick, and our 2026 draft pick. I just decided that we didn't pick well in 2024. I don't know why. I just made that up. Um, okay, it could be 2023, 2024, and 2026. Like, I just decided we didn't pick well in 2025. Like, you just don't pick well every time. That's my point. So, you know, and how, how do we build this? How do we do this? It, you know, Oklahoma City went through this, is going to go through the same thing. I mean, they, they acquiesced entirely to Durant and Westbrook and Harden and changed media rules for the entire NBA and gave Durant everything he wanted in every way. And he left, you know, it's interesting. Steph and Giannis and Jokic seem to be the three that haven't left yet. Um, and you know, I don't know what that, or, you know, got traded and I don't know what the lesson on those are. Like Giannis is pretty grateful. His family got citizenship. Jokic is foreign and Steph won championships. Um, and might just be a unique bird with his background of his dad being in the league for as long as he has. Um, so maybe, it, you know, who knows what the model is. But Durant, they tried the same thing in building up Durant and tried to, you know, pull back all media and all interaction and all this and protect him and show him that if you're in a small market, we can control everything and the media won't bother you and you'll never have to do community service and you don't have to do any of these things and therefore it'll be perfect for you. And then Durant jetted. So... 
I don't know what the model is on how you build a star, but it's going to be an interesting experience and something probably the Jazz should look at of what they learned from this last few years of Donovan and how it built up and how it became bigger and how it became a little bit more of an issue and how it separated out the team a little bit in the last year and how the team chemistry fell apart in the last year and how Donovan then still, despite doing everything you could, got traded. Like, it's pretty fascinating. And what and what pieces can you take from it going forward? The legacy of Donovan's clear. He was a bright star for us that brought to us joy in a time of despair, lit us up for years on end, was amazing kid in the community, fabulous to the kids in the stands, absolutely ignited Utah basketball, was the biggest national world star we've probably ever had, had more jazz jerseys being worn across the country than anyone we've ever had. And the burden of all of it was significant. Like, I'll, probably the last real conversation I ever will have, maybe, with Donovan was a conversation where Donovan said to me, David, being Donovan, there's a lot to being Donovan Mitchell right now. It, it wore him out a little bit. We'll see how it works for him in the next spot. That is Locked on Jazz today. Thanks so very much. Why the Lakers absolutely have to trade their 27 and 29 first-round picks tomorrow on the show. And Wednesday, a totally different perspective than what our hearts feel about the Jazz trades and the amount they got for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. will not be Wednesday. It'll probably be Thursday's show. Plus, ask LOJ before the week is over. Have a great one. Thank you. Talk to you soon.